This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's most trusted energy providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au. Very controversial, isn't it, that wall at Maribyrnong protecting Flemington Racecourse? And I don't think anyone will ever know just what effect it has had on the residents, but certainly some residents are very angry about it. King Charles said, oh, back again? Oh, dear, oh, dear. So, of course, you can imagine how that went viral. His face just says, oh, my God, you're running the country? Really? I hated my passport photo so much. And as the years go on, I go, I'm so bad. <laughs> what about Paul Newman's new memoir? And he talks about the what they used to call it, the F hut, he and his wife Joan Woodward, because they would go up there and make passionate love to one another. It's yeah. not quite kiss and tell when you're oh. married. Caro, which AFL club made a greater mess of sacking their coach? <laughs> isn't it St Kilda? Yeah, well, it's line ball, isn't it? The treatment of those two coaches, it has been absolutely dreadful. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome, everybody. It is episode 240 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson, and I'm here with my friend, Corey Perkin. You used to call me your dear friend. Have I been relegated? I think friends sort of even nicer than dear friends. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello, Carol. Adjectives are overused. Um, Adjectives are overused. It is a beautiful spring day. We've got plenty to talk about, as ever. Uh, We want to thank our sponsors, Red Energy. If you're moving house, please call your local energy retailer, Red Energy. We also, of course, are sponsored by Prince Wine Store. We'll be talking to Miles later on in the episode, but you can meet Miles and you can come and see us next Wednesday night. That's Wednesday the 26th of October from 5pm at Prince Wine Store in Bank Street, South Melbourne. You can book via the show notes or via our socials. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to talk wine, just have a general chat and sell wine at massive discounts thanks to Prince Wine Store. So um, it's been, look, it's been a a very sad week, Corrie, um, for so many Australians and specifically Victorians, particularly those who've been badly, badly and tragically affected some of them by the shocking rainfall and flooding that's happened as a result. And it's not over yet. It's not over. And we send our thoughts to everybody in the northern parts of the state. It is dry in Melbourne, although some of the ovals and dog parks are still pretty wet underfoot. And where I live down at the coast, um, thankfully the sand has uh, helps. But um, gee, I tell you what, last Thursday, what a battering we all received. And um, uh, just sending a cheerio to Jane Clifton, a mate of mine whose house was flooded when um, the Maribyrnong River burst burst its banks. Um, But a great community. She has all of her gang in her street have been helping she and her partner clean up their house, which is absolutely sodden underfoot. Caro, she's a fanatical Essendon fan. A lot of Essendon memorabilia I saw in the photos, a lot of wet scarves and wet beanies. But Yes, I'm aware of James Essendon um, love and fanaticism. That's terrible news. Very controversial, isn't it, that wall at Maribyrnong um, protecting Flemington Racecourse. Even Bill Shorten, the local member I note in recent days, hasn't really taken a position. And I don't think anyone will ever know just what effect it has had on the residents, but certainly some residents are very angry about it. Anyway, look, everyone in country Victoria, around Australia, it's been... It's been a terrible few years, just a terrible few years with so many natural disasters and we're thinking of you. In happier news, Corrie, on Sunday you were christened. Well, not officially. I was christened when I was about three months old. But taken yes, you six decades, <laughs> but you've got there. Congratulations. No, had, thank you. I No, well, I, I chose my godfather, which most children don't get a chance to do, but I when I proposed this to Ranald, um, our lovely, dear family friend of many, many years, great friend of my dad and colleague of my dad and Ronald McDonald. Yes, um, former he, famous broadcaster and newspaper proprietor. Yes, well, he's um, he's got me out of a jam or two through my lifetime, and I thought, well, this would be a nice thing to do. So I proposed um, marriage, if you like, or proposed godparenting um, a few months ago, and that was um, happily received. And he and his wife Trisha 
and their clan, their son Hamish and Kate and the kids and all our kids and their kids. We had a huge meeting of the clans on Sunday. Sue, who is uh, with um, one of the churches, made a beautiful little um, – she, she, made, she made such a heartfelt, beautiful speech about friendship and coming together and it was a really special, fun, fun day. I can thoroughly recommend it, Caro. It's, uh, I never asked, sorry, what happened to the first godfather? I never had a godfather. Oh, In the okay. Methodist Church, you never had godfathers. That's right. You told me that. I'm sorry. Yes. And so um, so we just decided, oh, why not? And as I said, Ronald's been a great sounding board um, for me for many years. He's the reason I, after I bombed out of my matric exams, <laughs> that was the reason I got the job at the age. And he's kind of kept an eye out for me ever since. So he's the one. <laughs> he's the man to blame. No, he's he's so fond of you and so proud of you. I think it's it's a lovely story. That's really Can I lovely. just give another? I know I've already given a valet to Sally Turnside, my late godmother, who died a few months ago. But um, her send off was at Seymour, near Seymour, at the beautiful property and garden she created. Oh, Miss Jane would have loved this garden. Um, anyway, it, it's owned now by friends of hers. So the memorial was organised. They were very happy to host it. I sadly was up at Mission Beach, as you know, and missed it, as did my brother and sister, which was we were very sad about, just couldn't be helped. But um, it was a fabulous occasion. Oh, that's lovely. And it was in the big wet. My mother um, said to Andy Turnside, her godson and my great friend, that she almost rewrote her will on the, in the car driving there. She was so terrified. Well, it was just so – it was really scary on Thursday. I was supposed to come up and back from the beach for, for a lunch, and as I was saying to you at the time, I'm really nervous about this. Not only um, parts of East Link do get swamped and all of that sort of stuff, but the lunch was actually in the city, in the CBD. And I thought, gosh, I just had visions of Yarra – mayhem, traffic, you know, the whole thing. And I gather that Melbourne CBD completely stopped. But anyway, look. Jane, you're nodding in agreement here and looking. How have you been affected and your friends? Um, yeah, in the local area, I mean, the roads are just washed out. So we're not too bad in my direct little town. But, you know, the, the Dalesford Road and areas across there, and you can't even see it. And so what's happening now, people are just getting flat tyres hitting potholes all over the that's district. That's so true, Jane. That's so true. Oh. I, I noticed that around the beach. Carol, you would yeah. have noticed no, where I we have. are. All I of dreamed the number about of, potholes. Yeah. number of potholes. That's <laughs> More dreams. It, <laughs> More and dreams. and it, funnily enough, before I actually drive over them. But anyway, that's another story. Well, I'm glad you're okay, Look, Jane. We're very lucky, but there are so many people who fence lines and, and just crossovers and driveways and just buy well, shares in asphalt or road base at the moment because it's going to be a huge job. Yeah, and everybody take care. The rain's coming again. We're recording this on Tuesday, so it's coming again at the end of the week. Please, everybody, take care. And remember, it's going to be a very wet spring. There's some lovely um, letters in the mailbag. Daniel Fowl via email said, Hi, Caroline. I agree concussion in the AFL is a big issue. The conference is McCrory's baby, so outcomes should be treated as questionable. I don't understand that. No, well, uh, the AFL employed, they believed, a concussion expert to come in and do the research for them is no longer part of the AFL investigation. Some players have been rather dismayed to see their private statistics revealed in international conferences and more local conferences. The AFL have basically, in my view, wasted probably close to two years with putting the wrong person in charge of this investigation. And it should be it should be a panel of experts of medical no, well, experts, well, I would have thought. Well, it was just, yeah, it was definitely the wrong expert. And um, he makes a point that um, there are several Melbourne doctors who've worked with McCrory who clearly don't want to have their reputation sullied and stay quiet. This and other Guardian, he, he refers to some articles in The Guardian, which I point you to as well. And Christina Haynes totally agrees via email about our views on Qantas and Jetstar. Regular travellers from Sydney to Melbourne, and the last few times, one of them being grand final weekend, they drove. I so with you, Christina. We've got a big trip coming up, heading up north again to the northern New South Wales. We're driving. Mm, Safest um, option. And I'm a mum and Clem are flying up, but um, mum said, make sure you book me on Virgin, which I did because she's a a Virgin. (laughs) Maybe you should take her luggage with you. Oh, look, Noel, I think, I just think they're more reliable. I just can't trust Qantas and Jetstar at the moment. I love this little um, note from from the Instagram account, Caro, from Into Taste. Into Taste has loved your podcast, 
Carol and Corey, absolutely fabulous girls. I'm an octogenarian. You help me stay in touch and remain relevant. Bravo. And then she has her emojis are clapping hands, two glasses of champagne chinking and a glass of red. Sounds like fun. <laughs> Corrie, um, well, let's start with Liz Truss, who's had an absolute Barry Crocker over the past oh, couple of weeks. Who didn't turn up to Parliament overnight. Who looks like she's on the way out. I mean, very short-lived. She'll always be remembered as the British Prime Minister the last British Prime Minister to be greeted by the Queen. In fact, it was the Queen Queen Elizabeth's last official duty, wasn't it? And yes. she, I mean, it's quite extraordinary watching her and thinking that she died two days later. But um, it's all gone horribly wrong. She's had to sack one of her best mates, the Chancellor. The Conservative media have turned against her. And... Um, what, and, did, and overnight, what did Prince Charles say when she when he came, oh, she went and visited him the other yes, day? Yes, well, she went for her weekly meeting at Buckingham Palace, and King, King Charles, Charles went, King Charles, please. King Charles said, "Oh, back again? Oh dear, oh dear." So, of course, you can imagine how that went viral. I've watched it so many times; I can't stop laughing. It's He's clearly his face. not going to be the silent, dignified <laughs> monarch that his, his mother was. His face just says, "Oh my God, you're running the country, really." Oh, look, it's um, it, for those who ha- just to sort of bring everybody up to speed. I mean, I'll tell you in a second about overnight um, her not turning up to Parliament, which was to the House of Commons, which was just appalling. Um, she's been forced to do a massive U-turn on uh, this mini-budget with controversial economic policies, um, which included a reduced taxation plan. And the British stock market was so aghast at this, it went into complete freefall the day after, which means that her economic agenda is in total tatters, as as mm. is her leadership. Mm. Um, it was her... She then, a few days later, sacked her Chancellor of the Exchequer, Kwasi Kwarteng. He'd only been in office 38 days it was almost a record, beaten only by a chap who'd been there a couple of hundred years ago who had a heart attack in the, in the chair and um, sadly couldn't um, couldn't make it beyond a few days. But um, there's, there's a question of whether there'll be a no-confidence vote in the PM. The Tories who backed her, the Tory MPs who backed her against uh, the other contenders, um, Rishi Sunak um, being the main one, um, a couple of, a few weeks ago, just before the Queen died, uh, they are all up in arms. They She's lost their support. And so she's really, by sticking Jeremy Hunt, who's reasonably well-liked across the board, if anybody in politics on that side of the that side of the house in Britain could be well liked, but he's coming as the um, as the adult in the room. Carol, he is now the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Could he, he be the next PM? That's what he's positioning himself for. Because really, if you think about it, he hasn't got much to lose. He's probably bought Liz Truss some time with the markets and with uh, with her backbench, uh, but uh, he's in a kind of a win win situation if. His new economic policies, which he's just thrown her rule book out. So there goes Trussonomics, which she'd really pinned her entire prime ministership bid on. Um, so if, it, it, if his new way doesn't work, he can still blame, well, we've, we have Liz Truss still leading the country. And uh, and if it does work, he'll be seen as a hero. He may have bought his leader some time, but I doubt very much whether she'll be um, going up against Keir Starman at the election, which is supposed to happen before January 2025, so it could be earlier. But what a disaster. I mean, you think about it. The Queen has died, which creates incredible instability, sadness, of course, um, and and that not knowing from, from that level, head of state level for the British people. And now, of course, the, the Tory government has just gone from, from Theresa May, who's now, now looking like um, she was at Theresa May, is now looking like a national hero. Then Boris Johnson, now Liz Truss, who um, many Tory uh, cons- conservative columnists with the newspapers thought was going to be a disaster, and she's running the country. And Brexit. she's just and she's Brexit. just sacked. what a disaster! Oh, what a disaster! I tell you who is um, looking quite good is Penny Mordaunt, who was who was uh, tipped. Uh, she early on she was tipped that she might even. Um, do better in the polling amongst her own party colleagues than Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. She sadly fell at the last hurdle and didn't make it. But she has been in the House of Commons o- overnight defending the absence of Liz Truss, who she said was unable to make it due to emergency business. Labor MP Stella Creasy then stood up and said, for all we know, the Prime Minister is hiding under a desk. 
And of course, what's the rule in communications? You never repeat the question that somebody is trying to needle you has said. So of course, Penny Morden said, the Prime Minister is not hiding under her desk. So of course, that's gone that's the viral. That's the quote. That's the quote. Oh my goodness, yeah, that, what a mess. What another, a mess. Another lesson of journalism is, if you ask someone a question and they repeat the question and then deny it, you know they're lying. Oh, I remember once turning up at Carlton training and saying, is Alex Jezelinko going to come back and coach to St- Stephen Kernahan? And he goes, Alex Jezelinko, don't be ridiculous. And I went, oh, well, fair enough. And sure enough, two days later, there'd been a coup and Jezza was back in the seat. And I remember I've, I've kept a note, a mental note on that ever since, you know, the 1980s. It's interesting if that. If someone repeats a question. They're trying to buy a bit of time, with a, if They're trying to buy time. They're lying. Anyway, just saying, Corrie, um, we'll move to the trial of Bruce Lerman. Um, several, um, he, he, of course, is accused of raping former Liberal Party staffer Brittany Higgins. This has been a, oh, look, it's, it's been a very upsetting case, fascinating case. Um, the tide of public sentiment at several times over the last few weeks has certainly turned against Brittany Higgins. I think she's been judged unfairly personally. I mean, obviously there's been some interesting stuff about what she was wearing on the night and why that's relevant. Um, A couple of people saying to me, why would you wear the same dress that you were allegedly raped in? Why would you wear it again? As though maybe that's some sort of ridiculous piece of evidence. Well, not ridiculous, but questionable as why she would do it. We've had the extraordinary revelations again in the last couple of days of Linda Reynolds, Senator Linda Reynolds running interference Against the case, allegedly. Sending, sending her partner to sit in court and listen to Brittany's testimony and asking before she herself was supposed and, to appear. And and trying to get oh. um, background information from the lawyer, trying to sort of... I think that's the end of Lin- Senator Lynn Reynolds' career. Preempt the cross-examination. Oh, it's but an also, extraordinary and, story. and also even Michaela Cash, who's a former, dare I say, Attorney General, saying that she wasn't really aware of the proper proceedings. But just what... <laughs> What? How have you found the coverage? I found the coverage, uh, okay, so here's the thing, Caro. I covered courts for a minute. I was actually taken off courts at the age because I was involved in a debacle uh, of a reporting session, which I say with no pride. But um, I did it for a few months and I realised as I did it, when I went in, I was so gung-ho, I thought this is a snap. And the longer I was in in the magistrate's court mostly... um, the, the more difficult I realised it was, and I was so out of my depth. And in my defence, nobody at the age trains you, not did then, nobody. In 1982, nobody trains you how to be a court reporter. So, but, so I've been always very cognisant of what makes a good court report. And what I don't understand is that somewhere, at some point, maybe the 90s, the 2000s, court reporting used to be about facts, Caro, no adjectives by the reporter, no observations, Unless it was a colour piece, unless you were reporting on Lindy Chamberlain and you were doing the facts of the court case and then there was somebody, you know, me writing the colour story, the mood in the room. But when you read a court report, you expect it to be pretty straight up and down. And what I haven't really understood about this particular case um, of the Bruce Lehman um, um, trial is the amount of um, uh, opinion that seems to be sneaking in. So even to the point where they were describing the other day, and this set a lot of uh, feminist journos um, off on Twitter, but they, they described what Brittany was wearing as she came to court in her beige dress and her high heels, but they didn't didn't talk about what Bruce Lemon was wearing. Um, but even so, we shouldn't be reading that in a court report, a straight up and down court report, should we? That no. would be the, That would be the job of the colour writer. It does seem to, yeah, that's true. It it does seem to me to be boiling down to he said, she said, which is obviously what so often happens in sexual assault cases. Um, it, it's famously something that people have shied away from doing, report and try and prosecute sexual assaults and rapes because it is just so difficult to prove. Um, I think, you know, I don't know what happened in that room late at night. And um, what I do know is that there's a touch of the first stone, the Helen Garner about it, in that um, so many older women and and younger women 
just keep saying, look, he was blind. I really hope my daughter would never get blind drunk and go back late at night with some bloke. Oh, so and, you're saying you think the 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 oh, this cra- the collect the collective mood is changing? Against- no, I think that's been the. I think that opinion has been around since the story broke, what, two years ago or however long ago it was, that there's been that opinion. And and I say, listen, you know, it was probably inadvisable to get blind drunk and go back to the office, but that doesn't excuse, if he if he has raped her, that, that that's the only fact that matters. But there are a lot of people who, you know, still subscribe to the first opinion and quite convincingly too. And I mean, their argument might have merit, but it, it short, surely is overridden by the fact that, fact that people do silly things. They don't deserve to be raped if, in fact, that's what happened. And I think um, it just sounds to me it's going to be it – well, we, what we do know is that whatever happened, it was appallingly handled by, by everyone involved, mm. certainly by the staffers who knew about it where, or, and when they knew about it. There's been a lot of misinformation there and, frankly, I think some – People on that side of politics have been quite dishonest about when they knew. Um, but the secu- what the security people... I mean, it's just the most horrific story. It is It is terrible and... And paints such a terrible picture and of Brittany, life. And Brittany Higgins' accusations or her, sto- her story, which came out via um, an exclusive with uh, The Project and also with Samantha, Samantha Maiden. Maiden. Yep. And as she has said in court, she didn't... Um, really anticipate the how, how how that story would take off and these are all allegations but when you listen to somebody who has gone through so much pain and anguish and then they are confronted with the court case i remember thinking this same thing caro with um in the george pell case what is it that has brought these uh, these alleged victims to court making these allegations, what's what's taken them so far to that point? And it is a belief in their own truth. And I think none of us who are outside the court can make any judgment, even those who are inside the court listening to all sides. It must be terribly hard for a jury to to um to to come to the to the final conclusion. But I, I just think it's just been a, an amazing case and I think this case will be studied and picked upon and talked about in um, in legal circles and certainly in academic law for many, many years to come. We'll be watching that space with enormous interest. On another newsworthy note, another coaching drama, Caro. We have to talk about this. Are we going to talk about this? Well, more about that later in quick questions. Oh, goody. <laughs> Ross Lyon is definitely going to be coaching St Kilda. I think Gosh, you've been saying this for a while. Well, I, on I, the thought, money. I thought it would happen by mid next year. I didn't think that it would happen now. But, you know, on a personal note, there's another panellist leaving Wednesday night footy classified. They're down to two. So a few jobs going in the media. I'll miss Ross in the media. You've had a good rapport, haven't you? And I, 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 you know, was very sorry to stop working with him. As I've said to him, I look forward to covering the reincarnation at St Kilda. Now, Corrie, can we have a drink, please? Yes, please. So it's time for the cocktail cabinet brought to us by Prince Wine Store. What we're going to do this week is just please remind you yet again to come and visit us on Wednesday, the 26th of October, to Prince Wine Store in Bank Street, South Melbourne. We're having a wonderful little event. It starts at five o'clock, Corrie. It's going to run for a couple of hours. Yes, and we can also, uh, we can all do some wine tasting and you can purchase wine that night, Potties, with a very special Prince Wine Store discount, which I'm looking forward to. I'm also looking forward to, Caro, seeing one of our Potties from Perth and Miss Jane, her name is Lindsay. We've read out a couple of her Lindsay's emails. Coming. Lindsay is coming from Perth. Perth. I'd love to say just for the Prince Wine Store, but she actually is seeing a few friends as well. But um, Jane, our friend Jane, is going to bring her. So Lindsay um, will be there and I can't wait. And everybody else who's coming, we're so excited. We've had such great feedback about this night. So it's going to be a ripper. We're actually going to have, hopefully, I'm going to bring my little PA system. We're going to be able to have a little chat on the night, just exclusive to the room, so that if you've got some wine oh, questions. Jane, perhaps you've got to. Jane, your technical skills just know 
No, no boundaries. Uh, look, there is a booking link I'll put in the show notes via the Prince Wine Store website. You can book if you want to let us know you're coming so Miles can organise a, a glass of champagne on arrival and that sort of thing. But you can also just decide on Wednesday afternoon, oh, what the heck, I'm going to head into 177 Bank Street in South Melbourne's Prince Wine Store and just drop in. But if you want to let us know you're coming, that would be wonderful as well. You don't have to be there at 5. You can come at 6, 6.30. We'll be there till 7. That sounds great, Jane. And I can't remember the name of it, but in the spring mix dozen, there is a rosé that is to die for. And I'm going to get Miles to bring it out next week. We're going to, I know you're not the biggest rosé fan, Corrie, but Prince has the best ones. And it is that I time will, of I year. I will give it a go. Miles has actually brought in a couple over the years and I haven't minded them. Maybe this year is the year of the rosé. That was the cocktail cabinet brought to us by Prince Wine Store. There's so much on offer at Prince Wine Store. Come and see for yourself on Wednesday, October 26th. That's only eight days away now from when we're uh, recording this podcast. 5 till 7pm, Bank Street, South Melbourne. Myself and Corrie and Miles will be there. Um, there's a booking link in the show notes to reserve your spot, but feel free to just pop in on the night. Corrie, time now, thanks to Red Energy, for BSF. And you have a book. I am so looking forward to hearing about this one. It's had great reviews. This is Exiles by Jane Harper. Jane Harper of The Dry, her new novel, Caro. And Aaron Fork, the investigator, is back in his third novel. Jane has returned to that charismatic most interesting um, character played by Eric Banner in the movie version. In the dry. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, what, what's so he doing this time? This time he has come to the, to the uh, country town in the South Australian wine country, the country town of his old friend Greg Reco. And Greg and his wife Rita have asked Aaron to be the godfather there you are. That's on. Uh, that's on trend. Um, to be the godfather of their new baby son. The visit occurs during the Carnival Wine Festival, an annual event where one year earlier, a young mother and um, wife Kim Gillespie disappeared, and she was last seen at the Ferris wheel. The story of the of exiles is about what happened to Kim, a good friend of everybody, and. Um, and the sister-in-law of some of the main characters. And as a big gang of kids 20-odd years earlier, they used to hang out together a lot, you know, drinking by the reservoir, having mm, fun, riding their very, bikes. very familiar. Aaron arrives into this place with the detached eye of the outsider, which he's well known for, and is privy to all kinds of discussions because of his friendship with the Waco family. And of course, he even though he's having time off to do his godfather christening duties, he becomes immersed in the case. Now, I have to say that every time I start a Jane Harper novel, I'm a little overwhelmed with the number of characters, but pretty soon it settles down. And when I spoke with you a couple of days ago, I was in that mess in the weeds and I quickly came out of it and I read this book in pretty much two sittings and thoroughly enjoyed it. It's very well, you needed to because you're interviewing Jane Harper, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. I look forward to hearing well, about that too. Oh, you know, I don't have a problem saying to, to Jane, and I will tonight when we interview at our event, that uh, sometimes, you know, the beginnings, how does, she, how does she kind of bring it all together so deftly as she does? Well, it's a great but tribute to you, Corrie, that she's doing so, so, much, so little media. And oh, she's doing an event I with know. you. She did one event at the Wheeler Centre a couple of weeks ago and then one with us and we have 120 people. So looking forward to seeing everybody tonight. But this Caro is kind of typical Jane Harper, isn't it? The flawed hero who's the investigator with that charismatic streak, who works too hard, who has no time for pleasures, no time for himself. And, of course, in Aaron Falk, he's a country boy who has made good as a policeman and now of course he works with the federal police and he's returned to the town of Marilee. He's often returning to a place. So we have beautiful descriptions as always with Jane's writing of the Australian countryside of small town country life, the good and the bad of living in a small country town. There's the family drama and as I said the outsider looking in and then there are always strong women characters in her books, which I really appreciate and love. And then, of course, as always in a really good murder mystery, you have about five or six suspects. 
and from very early on, you're trying to work out who might have done it and what might be their motive. Be, what might have been their motive. So I think she's created a terrific book. I think it'll be a good, strong summer read. Uh, it'll be one of those books that people find in their Christmas stocking, and I highly recommend Jane Harper's Exiles. Is it the is was the last one the one set in Tasmania? Yes, Survivors. Survivors. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I mean, beautifully constructed in the beginning and very evocative sense of place. But I, I was a bit, got to say, a bit disappointed in that one. Did you get a bit lost? No, I didn't. I, I don't. I've heard that theory before about all the characters. No, I managed to. Um, I mean, often when I'm reading, I have to go back and check things, check who people are. But no, I just felt I didn't think it was as good a story. But this one sounds like a cracker. Yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it. So as soon as I've finished with it tonight for my little speech with her, with all my notes in it, I can loan you and Miss Jane that copy. So, Caro, you've been to the movies. What have you seen? I have. Well, I've seen a film that's been poorly reviewed, but it sounded like such a great premise. I went and saw it anyway. It's called Amsterdam. It's, um, look, it's a very unusual film directed by David O. Russell, who is known to be very aggressive and actually quite difficult to work with and quite unpleasant to work with at times. I know he did Three Kings with George Clooney and it was a terrible experience. Um, it's not based on the book by Ian McEwan. It's a story of... Which won a, which won a Booker Prize? Oh, speaking of Booker Prizes, sorry, I meant to say that in... Can I just jump in? The Go, Booker Prize in. The Booker Prize was won, uh, as we're speaking, an hour ago um, by uh, a Sri Lankan writer whose work, uh, this is one of the ones in my pile that I haven't read. Always, always, I picked the wrong one. The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida. Oh, I Shien read about Karana this. Tanklika, that won. So that has won. It's, uh, it is beside my bed. It, once again, I didn't pick the winner. So sorry, Caro, I interrupted. No, that's absolutely fine. This movie, Amsterdam, has an incredible ensemble cast. It is um, set between 1930s New York and the end of World War One in Europe, in France, and then in Amsterdam. Um, France is where the main characters meet, and the main characters are played by Christian Bale and a wonderful, wonderful performance by John David Washington, who is part of a black platoon that nobody wants to run, and they're being racially mistreated, etc., etc. World et War One or World War Two? World War One. Right. It's, it's uh, 1930s is where it's set, and then and it it's flashbacks. They together um, end up in a military hospital. Uh, Christian Bale loses an eye. He's a disabled soldier. Um, John David Washington, I think, goes to visit him or he's there for some reason. And they are nursed by a wonderful character played by an incredibly beautiful Margot Robbie, who is sensational in this as well. They go to Amsterdam to basically live the life they wouldn't be able to live anywhere else. Post-war... They're drinking, they're dancing, they're partying. Um, John David Washington and Margot Robbie fall in love. They are an absolute threesome. And this goes on until um, Christian Bale basically has to go back to America and to his beautiful but very um, insecure and socially socially upwardly mobile wife. Again, oh look, there, there were so many wonderful performances in this. But the woman who plays Christian Bale's wife... Um, Oh, she's played all manner of people. She played um, Margaret Thatcher in an early um, an not early Jillian, rendition. Not Jillian, uh, no, her name's Andrea Riseborough. Um, anyway, she's absolutely brilliant in it. So is Rami Malik, who plays Margot Robbie's brother. There are so many great characters. Taylor Swift makes a brief appearance. But what happens is we're back to the 1930s. Um, Margot Robbie disappears and no one knows where she's gone in Amsterdam. The the threesome is split up. But the two men, the um, the black soldier and the white soldier, the white soldier becomes, he is a doctor and he basically spends his next 20 years dispensing pain killing and painkillers and prosthetics to former veterans. And his friend becomes a lawyer and they work together. They witness a terrible murder. It, it is very confusing and people say that the first half of the film, they just so almost... So is it a murder mystery? Yes. Right. But it's also based on a true story that has huge parallels with America at the moment. Right. About the rise of fascism. 
okay. in America in the 1930s and, and a true life plot to overthrow Roosevelt using veterans, army veterans. Oh, well, I won't okay. tell you what happens, but Robert De Niro comes into the story oh, late. now you have me. It's a fascinating film and it's very funny. Christian so, Bale is brilliant. David Washington is brilliant. They're all really, really good performances. And is David Washington Denzel's son? I don't know. I'm not um, sure. I'm not Christian, sure. Chris, Christian He's a brilliant Bale, actor, has though. Has Christian Bale lost all that weight he put on to play Dick Cheney in Vice? He's unrecognisable from the Dick Cheney character. That was an amazing film too. I know we talked about it on the podcast at the time, but if anybody catches it on um, any sort of screen that you watch. Um, and the other great performance, he plays an MI5 um, apparat chick, I suppose, who first appears in Amsterdam and later in America is Mike Myers. He is hysterical. I mean, it is, it, it, it's a really good film. Always a great actor, Mike Myers, I have to say. I'll move right on, but I would say ignore the reviews. I think you should see Amsterdam, and once you work out what it's about, you go, oh. Okay. Oh, I get it. But I've also been cooking, Corrie. And I'm moving right on. That looks like an old cookbook. To F. It's a very, it's one, it's one yeah. of my favourite cookbooks. There is not a dud recipe that I've found yet in this book. It's called Bill's Open Kitchen. It's an early Bill Granger. Who's it really become, is early. Look at the, look at the appalling um, food styling. Well, it might be badly styled, God, but i tell you has, what. Everything has, it looks like it has well, Vaseline on it, Shane. This, well, that's a sign of a good cookbook, Corrie. And See, the Jane show, wasn't born when this came out. Miss Jane, the show notes will sadly reflect the rather stained recipe that I'm about to tell you. But I used to make this years ago, back in the 90s. Oh, my God. See, Jane was in kindergarten It's then. a main course. It's marinated lamb with spicy eggplant salad. It is the most beautiful recipe. A lot of people I know back in the 90s used to make the spicy eggplant salad and just serve it as a, an entree or a dip. Um, That's when we were, first discovered eggplant. Yeah, um, if they were having girls' 90s. drinks or something like that. But the reason I did it well, was... It was a bit I, like the kale. It was the kale of the 1990s, wasn't it? Yes, I think it's been around a bit longer than the 90s. I know, but we all started cooking with it. Yes. It used to be just a vegetarian dish that you'd stuff with breadcrumbs and a bit of tomato. Yeah, or then ratatouille suddenly, was around a oh, bit ra- earlier. Yeah, then. ratatouille was around. Yeah, I was making ratatouille earlier. I, this, this is one of the first bill. And interestingly enough, the price tag is in pounds because, of course, he became really successful in the UK, didn't he? And he's had mm. all those places in um, – well, it came out in 2001. So there you go. The reason I made this is because um, it involves lamb backstraps, which I love. Brendan loves them. And they're – they're, God, they're much more reasonable at the moment than other cuts of lamb and certainly more reasonable than I fill it and much cheaper than fish, which is a terrible thing to say. But anyway, look, it's such a the, – the easy part is that you basically marinate the back straps or leave them in – I left them overnight, but you can do it just for a couple of hours and you basically marinate them in paprika, cumin, chopped gu- crushed garlic, cloves and olive oil and salt and pepper. And you cook them till they're quite rare – leave them wrapped in foil and slice them up and serve them on a bed of this incredible spicy eggplant salad. It involves baking the eggplants in the oven. And as Bill said, he doesn't bother salting them anymore because he doesn't think it makes any difference. You brush them with olive oil so you don't use too much olive oil. And um, the salad involves, you can do the eggplant bit the day before and then you chop it up and mix it with um, garlic, cloves, flat leaf parsley, chopped coriander, more paprika, a small red chilli, and cumin, and then the next part of the recipe is you cook up huge, beautiful, plump Roma tomatoes, all chopped up roughly with sea salt and brown sugar. You mix it all together and add lemon juice and red wine vinegar. I can't explain it. It is the most beautiful mixture. It's a great recipe. Thank you, Bill Granger. I've rediscovered that book. And, Corrie, I can only say that um, do yourself a favour. Get out your old Bill's cookbooks. Righto. He's got another one called Bill's Classics or something, and it's Bill's take on old classics. Like he does his version of Coco Van, which is much easier and quicker, and um, his version of Paella, pa- Paella, whatever you say. And he's 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 great. I love it when you do an accent, which I'm not very good at. That was BSF for Red Energy, Corrie. Call your local energy retailer, Red Energy, on one three one eight zero six. Particularly if you're moving house, Corrie, you are grumpy. Apart from being grumpy about the Telstra outage that we're currently experiencing here on Tuesday morning, which sent you and I both into a twist thinking we hadn't paid our bills, um, 
I'm grumpy and I'm really furious about well, this. Well, I thought I had paid my bill, but Miss Jane said to me, have you paid your bill? In this rather accusatory tone, unsympathetic and accusatory. Well, my kids <laughs> came on board saying, I mean, I'm, both, my kids said, oh, I don't think I've paid my bill, which made me think, have I raised you to be good children and pay your bills on time? I knew I had paid mine on time. And then and then she tried to make it back up to me to make me admire her beautiful floral <laughs> display, which in, she said, I'm sort of basing it loosely on your wedding dress. And it is beautiful. It was the only because you said your husband's phone was out as well. And I just thought, two phones, one account. Who and knows? then I walked not, in not and not said, one my account, phone's Jane, out. Separate <laughs> accounts. <laughs> but the calla lilies are spectacular. They are. I'm not grumpy about those. I'm grumpy about Shalane Maxwell, Caro. Oh, um, so I just think this is so appalling. I, I, I Look, I, I have no sympathy for Prince She's Andrew. done an interview, a jail interview. She's done a jail interview from her US prison cell about how she feels so bad for her dear friend, quote unquote, oh, Prince Andrew. But see, the whole issue about this is that um, she is serving a 20-year sentence uh, for several on several charges, including uh, sex trafficking. And um, as we know, she was the girlfriend and socialite um, uh, what do you call them? Groomer? I don't know whether we call them. I don't know what they, what she's called, but she's the former heiress. Well, she's the, an accessory to a series yeah, of sexual assaults. The, the daughter of Robert Maxwell, but of course hung out with that terrible man, Jeffrey Epstein. So that's why she's in the clink. Uh, but her sentence is subject to an appeal in a couple of years. So of course she's trying to rebuild her image. And she's also trying to appeal to the hearts of others who may be more compassionate, perhaps potential jurors and judges out there. She has apparently submitted a list of 300 complaints to officials over her treatment in jail. These include lack of fresh water and loneliness. Please. I'm just leaving that there. Think of all the young girls whose lives she's destroyed. But look, if you're lonely... Help destroy, yep. um, She says she feels threatened in there. I can only imagine that she does. But this interview, what must Buckingham Palace and Prince Andrew be thinking now? (laughs) I mean, if someone's a friend, would you really bring bring up all that old stuff again, especially as he's had to pay out people to keep, you know, to keep out of court? Anyway, um, there you go. So I just was a bit furious to read all that and I was particularly furious to read that one of her complaints to officials was that she was feeling a bit lonely. Um, Caro, that's me for Grumpy. And so on to six quick questions for Red Energy. I'll open the bedding. Who should replace the Queen on the $5 note? Well, it should not be King Charles III would be my thing on that. Uh, Australia has had a... Why? In case we're a republic. Yeah. Well, but why when we have so many great Australians is my question. It has been tradition, of course, Cara, for Australia's lowest valued note to carry the profile of the monarch at the time. Yep. And of course, Prince uh, the Queen was on the $1 note and then we got rid of that here in Australian currency. And then, um, you know, the debate, and now we have Caroline, she's in the debate is who. I would suggest Charles Perkins. He is my number one. It has been suggested Shane Warne, Olivia Newton-John, Steve Irwin, not to take anything away from those great Australians, but I think we should have somebody who, like Charles Perkins, the first Indigenous man to graduate from tertiary education. He went to university. The man who really played such an important role in the 1967 referendum where First Nations people uh, were fighting to be entitled for the vote and the whole country um, came behind them and voted yes. I think Charles Perkins should be on the $5 note. Somebody else also suggested Fred Hollows for the work he's done, particularly internationally, with glaucoma and all sorts of eye diseases. But who would you put? I like Charles Perkins. Happy with that? I don't have a huge problem with Shane Warne. I don't have a huge problem with Olivia Newton-John. I've got to say. Somebody said Barry Humphreys, I heard on radio, and the question was, as day Medna? And I thought, <laughs> this is just becoming absurd. I mean, they're, they're this is of, our $5 note. They're popular culture stars. I, I think I think Charles Perkins would be a, a big statement. No, I don't mind that. Caro, which AFL club made a greater mess of sacking their coach? <laughs> isn't it Orson Kilda? Yeah, well, it's line ball, isn't it? The Coaches Association is a, a body that I've been critical of because I think they've got pretty much no teeth. And um, yet again, we've seen, I mean, in a way, how can they? They're not a, a proper union. But the treatment of those two coaches, Ben Rutten and Brett Ratten, very, very similar names, it has been 
absolutely dreadful. So um, we've seen a few coaches sack this year. Leon Cameron very quickly and cleanly back in May. Then, of course, and he um, left immediately. And, you know, I, I gather Phil Davis, the former GWS captain, got married the other day and Leon Cameron was at the wedding and there's, you know, no hard feelings and their long and happy relationship together. Then you saw David Noble sacked by North Melbourne. Clearly, he should never have gone into coaching. He should have stuck with being a footy boss. Um, came out very badly from that review. I don't think he would have forged that many close friendships with players in his short time at North. But you saw Ben Rutten basically having a bored coup as he's finished his second last game of the year. He's, he's already been through an internal review. Then there's a bored coup and David Barham admits they're trying to get Alistair Clarkson to coach as Ben Rutten is trying to fire up the troops for game for round 23 for the last game of the season he has to he has to go through the absolutely undignified drama of having to go and coach this team knowing they're trying to get another coach and knowing he's about to be sacked but they're refusing to sack him now why they didn't sack him after round it, it was just horrendous and he spoke out at the press conference after his last game and said I deserve better I've never seen a coach treated quite that badly until Brett Ratton I mean, only three weeks apart. Brett four Ratton, weeks apart. That, what, what probably made Brett Ratton worse is that he was re-signed only 100 days or so ago on a two-year deal. Now these, if you're a recipient club who owes money, owes a lot of money, like millions and millions of dollars, and St Kilda probably have the worst debt in the AFL, maybe Brisbane. Oh, no, I think St Kilda are worse. They um, aren't allowed to sign long-term contracts, so there would have been a six-month payout clause but still, that six months for a club that has got not much money. Um, the footy boss at the time is now the CEO. I don't know whether he's saying that it was the CEO's decision to re-sign the coach. I hope not because he certainly was ahead of footy and he would have had a big say in it. I was not impressed with the press conference. And then they – then – I seem to spend my life, Miss Jane, watching press conferences of football clubs at the moment. Judging bad press conferences. Look, I, I think that um, – the, the, one of the problems is that you've got you've got a guy who's come as a head of footy and Simon Lethlean. He's had issues at the AFL, as we know. He had to leave the AFL when he was on a trajectory there. Has come in as footy boss of St Kilda. He has um, made some bad calls as head of footy. I mean, the first one getting Dan Hannabury from the Swans didn't really work. He's just the recruiting has been pretty abysmal. They've conceded in the last month that his projected structure of how he wanted the footy department to look. They, the president said, no, no, that's not good enough. They bring, brought in Jeff Walsh over the two men Simon wanted to run footy. So they've, you know, basically knocked back his first envisaged structure of the football department. Then they've decided that really they want Ross Lyon to coach. So they make, they do, this, this review has been going on since early September and I gather Andrew Bassett, the president of St Kilda, famously of Seek.com, was telling everyone, telling a few people about it anyway, on Lindsay Fox's yacht when they, they went on the big birthday bash. And so you've got all these former club presidents like Eddie Maguire. And anyway, it sounds, it, they, they basically... Nothing's ever easy at St Kilda, is it? They're a terrible football club. They have been run so badly for so long. I, I love people and who all the there. money, all the money that's been behind them, the goodwill, the supporters... They botched Ross Lyon's departure last time. I mean, can you, can you remember the last time a, a coach left when his contract was up with dignity and on his own terms? Well, Lee Matthews at Brisbane, but he had a year to run on his contract and he had the good grace to say, I'm done. Don't give me my last year. Well, and what was that? Sort of nearly 20 years ago. Oh, no, that was... When was that? Oh, sort of 2008 or nine or something. Um, yeah, around that time. So anyway, m maybe a bit of... Maybe 2007. But, Corey, I just think to make Brett Ratton go in and plead for his job after being told he's come out badly of the review and it was a long pleading and then pretty much make him wait outside the door while the board meets for a few more hours before they emerge and tell him he's gone. Oh, Anyway, I'm with you. It's no, it's not pretty. Breaking up is hard to do, but that was bad. Corrie, who this week best summed up the differences between Sydney and Melbourne? There's an Instagram account called Refinery29AU, and the uh, 
girl talk the woman talking to camera camera I thought made a really good point. She said Melbourne and Sydney are sisters, but Sydney is the pretty sister. It has the looks and the beauty. It has the Harbour Bridge and Bondi. Uh, but she's never had to work much on her personality, but she doesn't have to. <laughs> what? Because she's so pretty. Melbourne is the less overtly pretty sister. She's had to work on her own personality. So we have the best coffee, the best rooftop bars, the best restaurants, the best art scene. And we're even fun when it rains. And I thought that's probably quite right. My mum, who lived in both Sydney and so Melbourne. So who's actually said this? Refinery 29AU, and I don't know the commentator's name, but it's a really terrific Instagram account. I highly recommend it for young women on the or any women. It's quite provocative. But um, my, my mother, who lived in Sydney and Melbourne, she used to say, Sydney's new money, Melbourne's old money. And when I did a story, uh, when I did a big feature on the forthcoming, the then forthcoming Sydney Olympics, so it was for The Age in early 2000, yeah, And the editor told me, quote, unquote, we think they're going to make a botch of it, get up there and do a piece on what they're doing. And Simon Balderston was then <laughs> deep in the thick of the Sydney Olympics. And he kind of took me under his wing for three days. I met everybody. I met every, like you name it, Lord Mayors and everything. And I came back and I had to write my story. And I said, I think they're going to do a really good job in Sydney. And I wrote a line, something like, Sydney is based on, Sydney is a sandstone city where Melbourne is a bluestone city. And it was funny because a few people after the piece was published said, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the colour of the cities and it's also bluestone is so, so solid, rock solid and a kind of, you know, reliable sort of material in which to build your city and sandstone might just be swept away. Anyway, um, that's it. I thought that was great. My brother um, always said that when he lived, because he's lived well, more than half his life in Sydney now, but he said he used to get really sad when summer was over and we'd come back to Melbourne from the beach and back to school. And then when he got older, it was still really sad, you know, heading back. He said it doesn't happen in Sydney. You don't get sad when summer's over because you've got it's the beautiful one long beach. holiday. <laughs> well, not well, not so much. No, that, that's right. You can access it all. Yeah, yeah. Sort the, of around the waters the around you. Yeah. So I yeah. thought that was um, that's interesting. Really interesting. But I mean, Melbourne is a is a place of, of traditions and seasons, isn't it? Very, very much. You know, like I know now that we're rolling, we're completely in racing time, and then we go from racing to onto Christmas and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, we have our own beat, I guess, well, Sydney's is trying Now they're trying to steal all our good racing dates too, which is a Peter Volandis is anyway. I don't want to think about us being the less overtly pretty sister. I think we're pretty pretty here, really. Comparisons are rodeous. Now, exactly, Carol. Now, I'm thinking of John le Carre, where you're going with this one. Where do you stand on Kiss and Tell books? You think right. Did you read that article I about his, his mistress <laughs> who's come out and said we were lovers for years? And <laughs> I mean... I'm sorry. Lord knows what the, well, he's Cornwall, David Cornwall's family. Lord knows what they're thinking of all of this. Basically saying that, I mean, she goes through chapter and verse of how they met, of how he used his wife to sort of set up the relationship to get her to ring her one day. It, it was a big article in the Australian magazine about the book. And um, hot off the ta- hot off the trail of reading that particular story. And I sort of read it and thought, that is the last book I would read. I mean, it's just a bit of a grubby, you know, ha-ha, I was John le Carre's lover and I was the most important woman in his life. You sort of a bit, look at me, look at me. I thought it was very undignified. Mm. And then I read about, uh, look, he's, I don't, I can't remember his whole, Jane might know his full name. He's known as Millsy and he soared to fame on a reality Rob TV Mills. show. Mills. Rob Mills, he was, was in it Big Brother. Um, no, he Australian was Australian Idol. Idol. He's actually ta- he's a he's a talented musical theatre. He's former. now become a talented musical theatre star. I've met him a few times in the makeup room of Channel I Nine. Lo- I loved Australian Idol. He he's written a book. He talks about you know a threesome he had with a drag queen. He's talked about his very brief relationship with Paris Hilton, who he met in Sydney at some event, and the night they spent together, and how he watched her sex tape with her. I mean. I, I don't understand. And, he, and he's just engaged to someone and what about, about to Paul, get married. What about Paul Newman's new memoir? And he talks about the what they used to call it, the F-hut, he and his wife, Joan Woodward. 
Oh, I didn't know about that. Have you read that? No, I haven't. He called it. They called it their F hut because they would go up there and have make passionate love to one another. I don't know whether it was in the garden or well, the hills. Is, is it kiss got that and tell? It's not quite kiss and tell when you're oh. married. I mean, you, I suppose you are telling, but it's it's not confessional. Illicit. It's fascinating. It sells I books just, to some I people. I thought both those. I, I had a look at the Millsy one online. Look, I shouldn't have even clicked on it to read about him in Paris. You Hill. went in in the World Wide Web. Didn't I know. You? I know. It came, well, it came up on my feed. Now, why it would come up? Because I'm be sure careful if you type the word sex or, or affairs in. Oh, comes back to bite you again and again. Uh, both very, very grubby stories. Corrie, the new craze of taking your cat for a walk. Well, I didn't even know about this, so I can't really take have a judgment about it. Apparently there's a new craze, Corrie, of taking your cat for a walk. Is this a good thing? No, of course it's not. It's ridiculous. There is a new, uh, there is a new craze um, since COVID, they think, because a lot of a lot of people bought kittens, of course, like they bought puppies. And a lot of cats actually became quite fat. History doesn't relate why, because they can get out the window. They don't have to wear a mask. But anyway, apparently um, now there's been a thing that you buy a lead for your cat and you take Kitty for a walk around the block. Um, not sure about whether I would be doing that. But when we were um, when we were at our wedding recently the in Byron Bay... Cats don't want to go for walks. They just... No, apparently some do. Some do. They, they're not very good, though. They tug a lot and they like to stop. They don't sniff the grass. They sort of want to run away, so they're a bit annoying, apparently. But when we were in Byron Bay um, and we shared digs with Shaz and Ross, they were telling us about their. We said, "What have happened to that rabbit of yours, Freckle?" And Freckle used to be inside. Was an inside rabbit, and they were saying they did buy Freckle a little lead. And so I had images of them walking the the rabbit around the block, which <laughs> after a couple of after a pup, couple of Pinot Gris, it seemed really funny. So I text Shaz yesterday saying, "Just for the podcast, because I've got this cat thing." Did you take Freckle? And she said, we did buy a little lead for Freckle, but he bit through it with his razor-sharp teeth before we even got it on him. So it was a no-go. There, <laughs> there are quite a few cats being pushed in prams around here. She lives in, in a Melbourne. And, um, That's I mean, her, and her husband also texted me to say, um, we didn't do it regularly, however. So I don't know whether they took the rabbit or not. But anyway, there you go. Meow. Um, now, what's this week's amazing fact, Caro? Well, Corrie, I know you're planning on travelling overseas next year. Is your oh. passport up to date? Oh. Have you checked? I have. I think I have another couple of years on it. But after everybody's horror stories of this past travelling season. I wasn't aware that over the COVID period, two million passports expired and were not renewed. That's more a than, great fact. More than two million. And at the moment, and for the last six months, the passport office has had to bring in extra staff because they are processing 12,000 12, new passports a day. Oh, what? A day. So check your passport. Gosh, I wish they could be that efficient with Medibank. Well, you know my mm. theory about you know the Australian passport. It says it lasts for 10 years if you're an adult, if you're a grown-up, but it's actually only nine and a half years because they don't let you leave the country if you've only got six months left on it. And they say that's because of other countries, but it's not true. It is a lie. Other countries let you in with five months left on your passport. Australia doesn't. So really it's only nine and a half years. So check your passport because there's a backlog and they are working overtime to fix it, but you don't want to be the one to miss out, Corey. Well, I don't want it. I don't want to give up my current passport because after years... You like year, the photo? Year, exactly. <laughs> yeah. After years and years of having shocking photos, I actually took not a bad one, which probably suggests I'm starting to become the face of the passport person. Maybe I'm scowling and not smiling as much, but I thought it was quite handy, actually. I hated my passport photo so much. And as the years go on, I go, mm, it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so if you liked it at the beginning, that's a really good sign. I, st even I though I was, even though mine's about six years old now, it's still. I quite seven. like my driver's license. I must be good in front of a still camera. Like I love that. my driver's license. I hate license. doing it when Miss Jane puts that stupid. I'm a babe on my driver's license. I hate I mean, the way you do that, I'm an old Jane. Hag you put on us my on, the inst on the Instagram account. I hate every time I see myself. But anyway, look, look everybody, Jane insists. On I'm that cheerful note, on that cheerful note, everyone, we've come to the end of our podcast. Thanks, Red Energy, hundred percent Australian. Don't forget, we're drinking up big next week, everyone. 
And Prince Wine Store, the aforementioned. Visit princewinestore.com.au and click on the Don't Shoot the Messenger page for all of Miles' recommendations and special discounts. You can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you want our show notes delivered to your inbox each week, hit the sign-up button on Facebook or in our show notes. Or send us an email and we'll subscribe you. That email is feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And Corrie? Meow, meow. I'm going for a walk. Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's Most Trusted Energy Providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au.